0: Welcome to Rising Stars, where Miriam Knight, publisher of New Consciousness Review, interviews exciting new voices in the world of progressive and transformational books, films, and ideas who offer intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us as we celebrate the conscious awakening and explore many expressions of consciousness in action.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to the very first Rising Stars show. I'm Miriam Knight and on this show we will celebrate some of the best writers you may not have heard about, but who offer original and empowering information and inspiration that I hope will give you food for thought. As the publisher of New Consciousness Review, I get to see thousands of books and films that are contributing to the conscious awakening. On our website, ncreview.com, we review hundreds of books, and I've been interviewing one author or filmmaker a week for the past five years. On the Rising Stars show going forward, I will be introducing you to two or three authors per show. Especially indie authors who otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to be heard. While you may not identify with their messages, I hope you will find among them some gems that add pieces to the puzzle of who we are and all we can become. Because this is my first Rising Star show and my first live show, I decided to invite just one guest, and she is truly a gem. Our guest today is Jessica Maxwell, a nationally acclaimed travel writer and author of books on women's adventure, fishing, golf, and natural healing. She has fly-fished for Amazonian piranha for Forbes, hunted Norwegian grouse for gourmet, and chased wild mustangs for travel and leisure. But her earthbound career took a sudden turn toward the mystical with the publication of her award-winning spiritual memoir, Roll Around Heaven, in 2009. Jessica is a results and evidence girl, and she now works at the interface of science and spirituality and has a lively practice as a spiritual coach and hands on healer. She's in great demand as a speaker because her presentations offer personal validation, hope, and scientific evidence that appeal to skeptics, believers, cynics, and the spiritual alike. She's almost finished her next book, which is about her healing work and her long-term love affair with the kingdom of Bhutan, her spiritual home for two decades. When she's not in the Himalayas, Jessica lives in Western Oregon with her husband, Tom Anderson, and two part bobcat kitties, who are an integral part of her healing team. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you for joining me today. <laughs> Thank you, Miriam. you know I'm really happy to kick off this show with you because you're such a prime example of a successful mainstream personality who had a major conscious awakening. Can you tell us about it?
2: Well, yes, and in fact, um, as you well know that that story is the um, kind of what's it called when you kick a kickoff story uh, of the first chapter of Roll Around Heaven. And what happened is in 1992, uh, exactly three days after my father uh, passed, he, I say he left his body, um, I was driving by myself and I looked up into a very clear blue sky and there was his face. And it had, uh, for people who haven't experienced this, and I sure hadn't, it was like uh, had the quality of a rainbow and in, in that it was full spectrum light, but it was his face, multidimensional and huge and beaming with an overwhelming, uh, almost unearthly joy. And he wasn't the happiest of guys. So this was, you know, quite startling. And, um, The wonderful part about this, besides the event itself, was that later that evening my sister called me from a 1,000 miles away to tell me she'd been driving by herself and saw the same thing, and I stopped her, being a results and evidence girl, and wanted to make sure before she told me I told her. And indeed we'd seen exactly the same vision of our father. Well, what we couldn't have imagined was that that event either blasted open my third eye, or it was open and I didn't know it, but whatever happened, we were off to the spiritual races from then on. Wow.
1: Now, tell us about your spiritual life before that, and how did it change?
2: Would you like 10 minutes of silence? <laughs> <laughs> it it <il> not exist pas. <laughs> It, it was non-existent. And I think I have come to understand that this is very important because many people, um, I've heard this over and over in, from my my healing clients, they were interested in spiritual things from the time they were little children. I wasn't. I was a California beach girl. Um, my dad was from New Zealand. We were nature kids. I went into nature writing. And my mother had been raised French Catholic in uh, Texas and Louisiana and had had a horrible experience with nuns who were so mean she wouldn't go back. So we always say she threw the baby out with the baptismal water. So I literally was a blank spiritual slate. I knew nothing and I cared nothing. Not, so people say, "Oh, you were a skeptic, and I say, "You're giving me way too much credit. Skeptics care, right? <laughs> no, I didn't care. it wasn't It was not on my radar. So for something of this magnitude, this seeing my father's face, um, this kind of vision and, and paranormal event. It was beyond anything I could have imagined, nor did I want it. And I had no spiritual context into which to put it. So it really was the the jumping off place and the beginning of my spiritual life that didn't exist before that.
1: So how did you go about trying to understand this?
2: Well, um, I, I didn't have much time... Uh, before it was explained to me by a character we call the Holy Pig Farmer. Um, Not many months after this event, and I I just didn't know what to make of it. My sister and I just felt it was our little private miracle. Um, But through a friend, I ended up being introduced to a kind of a spiritual counselor. This is up in the Seattle area, again, in the early 90s. And... For some reason, he wanted to meet me, and I kind of became his disciple for a while, and I would drive to his farm. He had a farm back then, and he did raise pigs, and I would just sit with him for a couple of hours a week, and he very kindly coached me, and I, I, was, I didn't know why I was so drawn to him um, and I certainly didn't know why he was interested in helping me, but it seemed now looking back again, it seems to be a bit of a divine choreography as I was being led. Oh, it's 1111 right now. That's my lucky number. <laughs> so I really was. And uh, if, if I did come to understand it, I don't know if we can really understand these things. But to become comfortable with it and have a spiritual historic context for it, the holy pig farmer, his real name is Lori Meisel, uh, he's the one who, who helped do that for me.
1: Now, a lot of people, when they have these experiences, kind of don't have a context for them and they sweep it under the rug because it's too inconvenient, really, to talk about or to admit to. Why did you come out with it?
2: I think I have a fearlessness uh, that made me an adventure writer in the first place. Now I have some fears, you know, I have some, I don't like elevators for instance, but, um, but in, uh, you know, if you, it, no one becomes an adventure writer unless they're on, on the boat for an adventure. And I'm a nonfiction writer. This was real. You talk to anyone who was a true skeptic and they have some you know, exemplary experience happened to them. You cannot talk them out of it. It's real. It's just other dimensional. So once I had had that experience, you know, I, I knew that something was up. I didn't know what, and I didn't even become a scholar. I I'm much more of a scholar now where I try to read everything, but I wasn't back then. And, um, so I just wanted to, uh, you know, to kind of tell people about it because it was so wild, and it was the at that point the best experience I'd ever had. So it was like kind of gee whiz, listen to this one, and that's that's how it began. And really, I think it took ten years before I realized. No, that's too long. But maybe let's say five years before I realized. Because other things began to happen, Miriam, as you know. And then I knew I had a story, and pretty soon I wanted to share the whole thing. That became the book. But it did take a good 10 years for me to stop apologizing or kind of going, well, you know, this is really a great one, but I don't know what you're going to think about it. I owned it in 10 years. It was one moment in my kitchen, and I knew, I knew, that I was doing the right thing and there was something wonderful about it and there were no questions left.
1: Some of the other experiences that you had, uh, you called the R-A-H, the Roll Around Heaven Effect. <laughs> and um, I, I want to hear more about them. Uh, but really briefly, just what is one?
2: What is one? Oh, you mean describe one?
1: Describe one oh, sure. wild adventure.
2: Well, you know, uh, when one third eye opens, and I, I also want to add here, we all have a third eye. We all have second sight. It's either not developed or latent or shut down. You know, I don't want to try to sound too precious about it. Um, but uh, when when your eye, third eye does open, and with me, it's especially open in the middle of the night. I'm awakened by things that I see and when i'm doing my healing work there are visitations and i often see beautiful big blue orbs you know blue is associated with the christ energy which of course is healing it's also medicine buddha who is blue and uh but probably the most harrowing and therefore dramatic and kind of fun to
1: talk about. Um, You're going to have to hold that thought, Jessica, because we are about to go to break. And then we will be back. We're speaking with Jessica Maxwell. (laughs)
0: free your mind expand your soul ohm times radio iom fm know what to do just can't figure out how to fit it all into your
1: busy life it doesn't have to be that way hi i'm ellen beswert from seamless life join me every wednesday at 9 p.m. eastern on ohm times radio and learn the how of conscious living let me and my guests help make your life seamless
0: Host your show on IOM FM, the radio network of OM Times Media, one of the more recognized brand names in the conscious community, and is backed by the extensive marketing reach of OM Times. Hosting a show on IOM FM immediately connects you with our extensive, dedicated community. Have you ever wondered how to change your love paradigm? The secret key is finding a love partnership, not just a regular connection. How do you find these? Through conscious relationships. Ascending Hearts Dating is a dating site for people like you that believes in second chances and a different type of spiritual connection. Try Ascending Hearts for free today at AscendingHearts.com and change your love paradigm. Ascending Hearts, the premier dating community for the spiritually awake. Join Elliot Jolish, the business therapist, each Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern for the Elliot Jolish Hour as he interviews business experts on your behalf. And You're invited to email your business questions to questions at ecjgroup.com for answers. Live, on air, every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Elliot Jollish Hour. Your conscious connection to a more mindful world. Om Times Radio, FM.
1: Well, here we are back speaking with Jessica Maxwell about her previous book, Oh, uh, roll around heaven, and we're going to hear about some new things that she has in the pipeline. I'm Miriam Knight, and you're listening to the Rising Stars Show. Okay, Jessica, we were talking about a big blue blob that appeared in your bedroom.
2: <laughs> actually, actually, mostly the healing room, and uh, they're really quite beautiful. And uh, but the 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 one i was going to share that is the harrowing most harrowing harrowing one was huge i call them the gray ones these are oh i think it's what we would call demons or evil spirits and remember there's nothing to be afraid of you stand up to them with love and i'm not kidding most people would be afraid the things i've seen are can be terrifying and this is an interesting key to what i'm working on now i was never afraid of them i've been startled but the one I'm thinking about that was so startling was huge. And it had huge kind of, oh, I don't know, maybe foot around uh, in circumference legs, kind of octopus-like. But these are not forms we know. And it was monstrous and it was aggressive. And I had just seen uh, a friend <clears throat> who had, had a very rare kind of viral cancer that made no sense. And I knew this was the thing, the shadow being that was causing this. And I went to battle. And you battle it. I called on – I didn't know what I was doing yet, but I called on every sage and saint and healer I could think of and, and fought it with my will. And it took an hour. It was the longest battle I've done but then it, they kind of go pop and they there's a vacuum and they're uh, leaving and that's the end of them I hope they go away forever but who knows but that was the one of the wildest and I do see those oh not so much anymore but sometimes people bring them in with them and we clear them and then they kind of hang around I have to get rid of them
1: Okay, now you kind of did a major leap from seeing your father um, in the sky, mm-hmm. to visiting with a pig <clears throat> farmer who taught you about spirituality, mm-hmm. uh, going through this kind of quiet period of struggling to integrate what you 've been learning uh, and now you 're talking about actually becoming a healer. Mm. Tell us about this kind of transition into healinghood.
2: Well, it was actually a, a slow transition, and it, it all happened because I began sharing the stories um, of what, what happened actually was I was at a lodge in British Columbia in the very, I think, 2002, and um, I was having a massage in the little spa, and I saw imagery – And I told the masseuse, a young woman, about it, and she recognized it as her sister's wedding. And then I saw other visionary things, a second sight, and it was a funeral, and it turned out to be her father's funeral. And we put together rather quickly that the father was telling me to tell her that he had walked his daughter down the aisle. He had died before her sister got married and um, we found out a few days later, she came, this woman came and found me at breakfast and said that she called her sister and the night that I had the massage and saw these things was her 10th wedding anniversary so I came home back to Oregon from British Columbia and was telling a salon owner who does my pedicures about it she started telling her clients they started demanding that i do readings they were calling me the the spa psychic and (laughs) um, and i mean it just kind of snowballed from there then we moved from eugene to salem oregon and i didn't know anyone and that all stopped and then the book came out in 2009 and then it was reader request and reader demand and i don't advertise miriam i i it is all by referral and it, it 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 has snowballed, I think because it 's authentic, and all of us are searching once we are on the spiritual you know bandwagon and um, when we find people who are genuine and what they 're doing is genuine genuinely helping, then we tell others and then it just grows naturally so that's that 's what 's happened
1: do you think anyone can have their third eye blown open or? Was this something in your lineage that sort of predisposed you to it
2: well that 's a very interesting question i mean I, I would like to say that probably yes, everyone's can, but then it begs the question why isn 't it so the The Buddhists would say that your mind has to be ripe, whether it 's for enlightenment or for expanding spiritual abilities or gifts. Um, and then there, and you know, in Bhutan where I'm most familiar with the, I'm most familiar with Himalayan Buddhism in Bhutan, they're very big on blood lineage because of reincarnation. And so that's, that's one thing that I can mention. I'll talk about later because it has to do with my new book, but my mother could see she had second sight. And she was a PhD educational psychologist. So she did not do what I did, which was take a left-hand turn and go, the holy pig farmer says, do the holy pokey, hokey pokey, the holy pokey. <laughs> and you put your whole self in. And that's what I did because it was so compelling. But also I think I had been there before and it was like coming home. It's all very curious because I—you would think I would have been looking around for it, and I wasn't. Maybe I just was it and didn't know it. But so there is some lineage, actual blood lineage from my mother and my aunt Katie, her sister, my mother's sister. Privately, told me, and she'd never told anyone. Then I blabbed it and (laughs) roll around heaven (laughs) that she remembered being uh, in the crowd, some crowd. With when Jesus was working as a healer, and this was she was the most unassuming little bookkeeper. I mean, this is nothing that, that she would have, you know, for self-aggrandizement or ego. She didn't have any of that, and so you know, perhaps there's some in the in the field. You know, we all have an energetic field, and our story goes with us as we evolve life to lifetime. Um, perhaps there's something from her. Uh, experience that had to do with healing too. I, I mean, I don't know, but at least given your question, there is some evidence of some lineage from my my blood relatives. So
1: mm-hmm. now, uh, how did your spiritual practice evolve? Well, um,
2: it it uh, it evolved. Uh, it was like, as I said, it was like dropping a stitch when for the three years we were here before the here in Salem before the book came out, and then the book came out and people wanted me to do readings because I described seeing and a lot of things and doing some kind of accidental healings. They weren't, um, you know, uh, I wasn't officially doing them except as the. Spotlight. I was.
1: I was actually referring to your own. Personal spirituality, your your personal spiritual oh, that, outlook.
2: It's not the healing practice. Yeah. Oh yes. Well, <clears throat> you know, once you get a taste of it, the ever seductive outer world begins to pale, and I um, just started wanting to sit quietly, and not only go within, but connect with the oh, uh, the light beings uh, that are always around, but we kind of ignore them, I think. And um, I couldn't wait till I wait, would wake up in the morning. It was Every day was Christmas morning because I got to go sit again. And I would clear, and in fact, I did it this morning. I do it every day, clear everything. In me, anything I've picked up or that's bothering me, and then whoever comes in um, on the radar who may need prayer support, I ask for that for them. And uh, then I get very, very quiet, and I go within. Now, one of the other pieces of evidence we have that I have done meditation before, you know, most people when they're starting, they can't sit still. Have you heard this before? Sure. They, they, I can do five minutes. It drives me nuts. I've got to go feed the cats or go to yoga. That's kind of the big one. And um, I was quite the opposite. And in the early 80s, um, a boyfriend I had back then wanted to teach me to meditate. And he had lived in an ashram with Swami Sachidananda and, you know, done the whole deal. And I hadn't. And so, of course, I was a rookie, he thought. And he gave me a hibiscus flower to look at. And he said, just try to meditate on the flower. And, well, I take one look at it and I completely freak out because I can't tell if I'm the flower or it's me. It is I, I should say. (laughs) And, And, you know, he got angry with me because that is what we call unity consciousness. And it's a fairly high level of spiritual awareness or just awareness. Because it's actually, as you know, how things really are. It it really is of a piece. The world of form and separation is an illusion. And I'm going to sound like every spiritual master you ever read, but, but it really is. And when we expand in our awareness past ego, meaning this little separate self who's worried and scared and hungry or whatever, then that's where compassion starts to grow because Other people's pain is your pain too. And that's when we start to see, literally see differently. And I just had didn't know that I did that naturally. Well, you don't do that naturally. You do it from training. And we now know that I had at least one rather amazing life. It just was verified two months ago. In Bhutan as a healer, a woman, a nun healer. And I'm not going to tell too much because it's a big surprise ending of the next book. But these are Buddhist, Himalayan Buddhist spiritual masters, these two who did this verification. And it really wasn't until they did it that I was completely sure that that I had done this before and in a weird way, I've reincarnated in the West and I've put it together, I guess, with some quantum physics and a little more science and a little less tradition. And I've taken it back to Bhutan and we can't even have lunch in Bhutan, but somebody shows up for a healing. It's, it's, you know, it's like, it's like the expert has to be from out of town, right? That's what. <laughs> Our naturopath told us. And, and um, but they also recognize uh, you know real healing I think when they experience it and then they start word of mouth happens there too. So the the new book, I'm kind of jumping here, but it is to follow the path of the the this Western practice, my personal spiritual practice, as you asked about, my healing practice and then
1: what i have and you're going to have to hold that thought (laughs) 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 for after the break (laughs) we're speaking on rising stars with the rising star of them all jessica maxwell
0: conscious lifestyle for a mindful life Om times radio FM.
2: hi i'm katrina kavanagh host of the i am wisdom radio show i am wisdom is about the connection between mind work and energy work spirituality and living a wonderful life looking forward to sharing each sunday
1: 5pm eastern standard time with you
0: There are places in Africa where human traffickers sell albino children and their body parts for use in magic rituals. Humanity Healing International is actively working in Uganda to change this paradigm. The Albino Rescue Project finds albino children who are at risk and places them in safe schools and environments where they can learn and grow free from fear. To learn more or to sponsor a child, visit humanityhealing.org. Humanity Healing is where your heart is.
2: Hi. This is Angela Levesque, host of Entanglement Radio. Join me Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern for inspiring conversations with visionaries in spiritual science and conscious healing. Entanglement Radio, Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern. Transcendent talk for the conscious mind.
0: The future of Internet radio is here. Om Times Radio, Iom FM.
1: And we are back with Jessica Maxwell and I'm Miriam Knight. We're speaking about Jessica's first book, Roll Around Heaven, her coming book, uh, which we don't know its title <laughs> to be <laughs> discovered sometime later. Um, and I was thinking during the break, Jessica, about this, um, kind of spiritual layer cake that you have made for yourself. Mm. You have layers of what we would call the new age spirituality that you, uh, you learned during your uh, post-vision awakening. We have layers of Buddhist philosophy, and I know for a fact that we have layers of Presbyterian philosophy. <laughs> so how does it all blend together for you?
2: Well, um, last year, a year ago this month, I had uh, my first life reading, it's called, by a very gifted monk in Bhutan. And the very first thing he said that he had found was, all religions good with you. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, as long as a uh, practice, a spiritual practice or philosophy is of the heart and practices compassion, and love then it is good with me. And I think that perhaps that would upset some people who, in my opinion, can become ego-bound with their path and their way. And it can be anything, not just fundamentalist something or other. And uh, the truth is I sense and see and believe and feel that um, this – you know, beyond reason, beyond our comprehension, uh, spirit, and the realm of the spirit is beyond any little uh, label. It isn't a football game. We love football games, you know, I'm a duck we We root for the ducks, and I can even get really upset when we when we miss a basket that's important or something. But when it comes to spirit, That can really get in our way. Now, that said, we have to have a practice. One of the pitfalls I have found with uh, my, especially my clients who are trying to put together a spiritual life, is that they have usually been hurt by churches as children. They don't want anything to do with organized religion. So where do they go? You can't do this just on your own. And so my husband and I, along, we actually met in a Presbyterian church. at in Roll Around Heaven. Um, in 2001, we met. And uh, very what we would call progressive. Well, what does that mean? It means that you care about the world and other people. And it's not you're going to hell if you don't follow what I believe. Now that we moved here, we go to Westminster Presbyterian Church in Portland, which walks the walk of love. And as you may know, has a really great choir, (laughs) a really large great choir. Okay, I'm spilling the beans. Miriam is a soprano. And uh, the choir and the, the place is just a healing, a healing place and it's a routine and you should suit up and show up. And there's the wonderful wheel of Christian, uh, traditions, you know, Epiphany and Easter and all these things. You know, the Dalai Lama, Miriam says, you don't have to be a Buddhist to become enlightened. You become, can become enlightened in, in any religion. So on one hand, we need a practice and we need something to become part of. On the other hand, we don't want to make it an ego bound, you know, you're either with me or you're against me and you're wrong and I'm right thing. That's baloney. So the layer cake, you find what works and also what resonates with your heart and then you stick with it and be devoted and be faithful and all good things will come verily unto you.
1: It reminds me of the uh, story of the teacher pointing at the moon and telling his student that he must focus on the moon and not on his finger. And I think that's the the analogy, the metaphor for religion, that they are ways – of bringing us to an appreciation of the oneness, of, of the divinity, rather than focusing on the means.
2: Yes, and there's a wonderful uh, further comment about that, which is that um, the problem is they're pointing to the moon and and then some people take that finger and poke their eyes out with it. <laughs> <laughs> So,
1: how do you see spirituality developing here in America?
2: Oh, it's, that's just a great question. Um, it, you know, it, it's a definitely a two-edged sword. On one hand, um, because we are the, you know, original melting pot here, we have everything here. Um, that has freed many people up to experiment, to try things. There are... Traditions here There are Buddhist centers and Hindu centers, and and temples and synagogues and all over the place. And you are pretty much welcome to go try it out, and that helps break down these ego walls about "I'm of this and you're of that, and never the twain shall pray together." And uh, but the downside is that we uh, in can end up in spin cycle. We can end up dabbling. This is a consumerist society and to, it's good in the beginning to do the hokey pokey and put one foot in, maybe take that out, put the other foot in, take that out till you find where your heart feels at home. But if you continue to just take your foot in and out over and over and never have a deep practice, you're not going to get anywhere. It is work. It is diligence. Um, there's no way out of that one. So the downfall in the American way is that it's by its nature fragmented and then it takes extra uh, discipline to say I'm going to go this away and I'm going to stick with it, which is really why, you know, for me personally, because my heart is so with Himalayan Buddhism, but why I am as devoted to, to Westminster Presbyterian Church. It's exactly why, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you have to do that. You have to have your spiritual anchors and have a regular practice. You have to. You're, you won't get anywhere.
1: How did you get involved with Himalayan Buddhism?
2: Well, uh, <laughs> I was fly fishing. No, I wasn't fly fishing yet. I was fishing in Outer Mongolia.
1: <laughs> but of course, as one does.
2: <laughs> <laughs> For, um, the biggest, salmon in the world <laughs> they're called tamen salmon and the rumor was that they come up and eat horses and so i wasn't sure what lure to use for uh, never mind <laughs> for a, a horse eating fish but on that trip it was a magazine assignment and on that trip i met uh, a guy named guido rar who is now and has been for a long time the the executive director of the wild salmon center in portland oregon and he was fly fishing and I fell in love with the grace of it. And he promised to teach me to fly fish. Well, he ended up going to Yale to earn a master's degree in forestry. And he came back and he said, You've, I keep meeting these guys in my classes from this country front called Bhutan, which I'd never heard of. And he said, it's this Himalayan country. They take environmental practices so seriously. And these guys know all the answers a professor asks. They could be teaching the class. And so about a couple of years later, I managed to get a major feature assignment with Audubon magazine on the environmental policies of Bhutan. And um, so I just as a journalist, I went. So in my mind, it was just another assignment, although be pretty, although being being pretty ex- uh, exciting to be the debut uh, journey to the Himalayas, as they call them. What I could not have remotely imagined is that it would feel like home without any effort of my own. I would make friends. They would actually make friends with me with some of the m- movers and shakers of the new Bhutan as it comes out of a thousand years of isolation and into the 21st century and gross national happiness is its motto. And they're not kidding. It's the only uh, organic country on earth. They don't give you plastic bags. They give you cellulose bags when you shop. Um, It's not perfect, but they are doing things we have to fight tooth and nail to get our government to maybe do and it's a small country, easier to handle, but it is an enlightened country. And they f- they're enlightened in their policies because they follow Buddhist principles. You don't hurt sentient beings. Therefore, you don't ruin their homes. You don't ruin your environment. And so once I was there and I found out their policies were better than their reputation and then had made these amazing friends I was hooked, and I never stopped returning to Bhutan. And every trip, it has deepened from 1998, before they even had television, until now. Wow.
1: Yeah. So, uh, the, the spiritual um, awakening, the, the spiritual connection that you discovered in Bhutan went very deep for you. Um, how did you uncover that?
2: Well, um, I was sitting in the office of the foreign minister who was showing me their environmental policies. Um, and he suddenly tapped his watch and he said, I'm so sorry, Miss Maxwell. I must go home now. The llamas are coming to chase away the evil spirits from our home today. And at this time, 1998, you know, I had been seeing evil spirits and happy spirits for quite a while. And my two worlds collided in that moment. He had no idea. But I, my my stalwart nature girl, nature writer, environmental reporter persona was face to face with my very private at that time, spiritual life. And in this country, they put it together. So I was, you know, triply at home, not just doubly, um, because of this. And it made me realize that they had figured a lot of the things out that I was experiencing, and I started to ask questions. And just, it uh, again, that has never stopped.
1: So it must have been like really coming home because you, you felt that all the pieces had fallen together and there was no contradiction.
2: Well, as usual, perfectly put, yeah. And every time I land in um, the valley where the airport is, there's only one airport, from the very first time I would felt weep,
1: home, weep and I would hear right.
2: the words, you're home.
1: And we will be right back with Jessica Maxwell. You're listening to Rising Stars.
0: Feed your soul with waves of consciousness on Ohm Times Radio. Radio Namaste leads you down the yellow brick road into portals of consciousness with the blue collar goddess as your host. Interviews with humans who could be famous or just popular, and answers to everything are on the agenda. Tune into Om Times Radio and drop in on Thursdays at 3 Eastern. It's a different brand of enlightenment.
2: What if living didn't have to be so serious? What if you could move beyond your problems with greater confidence and ease than you've ever imagined? Throw your labels out the window and join the irreverent therapist for practical tips and a very different way of approaching the changes you would like to create. Marilyn Bradford and Pam Hodling have empowered hundreds of people to come out of self-judgment, quit looking to experts, and begin to create the lives they desire. Join us Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern on The Irreverent
1: Therapist Show.
0: The best of holistic, spiritual, and conscious world. Om Times Radio, IOM-FM.
1: Yes, we're back for our final segment, Alas, with Jessica Maxwell. Jessica, you also are working as a healer in Bhutan. Are there any differences in the way Americans respond to healing compared to how the Bhutanese do?
2: Yes. Yes, it takes me three hours or three sessions to do what I can do in 15 minutes. Which way? In Bhutan, it's 15 minutes. <clears throat> and what's so wonderful about it, and now mind you, this happened again word of mouth because I just did some work with um our buddhist teacher whose name is uh karma rinpoche who is knew when he was a little baby monk he would take the teachings to the west and he's based in colorado and in salem oregon and now going all over the world he's not rich he never came here to do that thing he's the real deal and his wife and um the i worked on them and uh their little baby and we're actually the baby's godparents and uh they began to tell people and when i was there to in february i was went to a family gathering she's a large large family and i thought it was just dinner and there were 13 14 people lined up and i looked up i didn't understand why and it turned out They wanted me to work on them. And there's no privacy in Bhutan. You just get going. (laughs) So, I mean, it's really informal. Well, because they're all were raised Buddhist. They completely get past lives. They completely get um, healing. They would go to the temples and the monks would do things like this. Um, They understand purification. They understand um, evil spirits uh you don't have to explain anything to them you start to and they go oh yeah 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 (laughs) get going i know this and um my one of my favorite favorite healings i did just uh a little over a month ago there we were at lunch and my friend's phone cell phone rings the wife of our teacher and it's one of her cousins, who's about seventy year, year old farmer, older, the oldest cousin. Anyway, he shows up to the restaurant because he has had a throat problem and no medicine and no monks. No one could do anything about it. He had this pain in his throat. Well, I look at him, and I see this gigantic bear claw ripping out his throat and half his face. Past life. So I had a, he does not speak a word of English, and I had a friend translating, and I said. Would you ask him if he's ever been attacked by an animal? And he asked him, and he said, yes. He had been attacked in his 20s by uh, an ox that basically almost killed him. He was not supposed to survive, and he barely survived. And I said, would you ask him if he's ever been attacked by a wild animal? And he said, no, but I've come face-to-face with a bear. (laughs) And I said, would you ask him what happened? (laughs) And he said, I threw a rock at it and killed it. (laughs) And I said, you killed a bear with a rock? You know, I mean, no one even in Bhutan has ever heard of this. So I said, okay, tell him what I saw. And what we're dealing with here is bear karma. (laughs) And (laughs) we cleared the whole thing and it just flies off them. I can feel it and sometimes even see it. And um, because, see, the trauma of that horribly vicious and unexpected attack was still in his field at the throat level. And so we cleared everything. We forgave the bear for being a bear. We had to forgive him for killing a bear because he's a Buddhist. <clears throat> and then he, I did a hands-on on his throat. I don't do hands-on healing until I've cleared everything in the field that might block it. That's just my way. And... We were done, and he said there's no pain at all. This is the first time he'd been out of pain. Well, then I, there was Medicine Buddha right next to us blessing this old farmer for being such a hard worker, <clears throat> for taking care of his family, which turned out to be <clears throat> excuse me, very, very true, <clears throat> both things. So I told him he's being blessed. I hoped he could handle it. And then he said that his stomach was starting to hurt. <laughs> And I go, why is your stomach hurt? We just fixed your throat. And he said he felt guilty because he used to pray, <clears throat> pardon me, to Medicine Buddha. But Medicine Buddha, uh, he hadn't been to the temples and he was feeling guilty. I go, you can't go Catholic on me. Now. <laughs> we just cleared, <laughs> healed your throat. And so I said, you know, just go to the temple and say thank you. It's fine. And then his his stomach thing went away and he was fine. And it was just so interesting because it all took maybe 20 minutes. But they're just open. There is no resistance. There's no ego. They want to be healed. And, you know, as here, people who would seek someone like me out have tried everything and Mm -hmm. nothing works. That's when you know it's probably... <clears throat> excuse me, a past life karmic thing, an energetic field thing. That's when we're into deep quantum healing, I call it. And this is yeah. not to say that medical, you know, medicine, Western medicine doesn't do a great job. Sometimes hip replacements, knee replacements. I think they're especially fabulous with mechanical high tech things, but they couldn't, <clears throat> pardon me. They could not figure out his, his throat problem. Mm. And and we did. And so then he starts telling people, and <laughs> Droma said, my phone not stop ringing. Next time you come, <laughs> I'm getting you an office. We're taking appointments.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. I so <laughs> how much of this is um, going into your new book? What, what can you tell us about that new book?
2: Okay. Well, I'm not going to say the name yet because I think names have magical powers, and we have to keep that energy secret until it... It's unleashed unleashed upon the world, Um, but it's a very cool name, uh, title. The book has three threads. Uh, One is the evolution of my healing practice and many stories from the healing room. I mean, talk about uh, uh, soap opera. I mean, a spiritual soap opera. It's it's just amazing. And real, quote-unquote, miraculous hands-on healings where they get up and their ankle that was broken three years ago in a softball game and it's never healed right. And I looked at this one woman, I go, right, because the bones healed off center. And she, she's a, a nice New York Jewish friend of mine. She goes, Jesus. And I go, that's what I like. A nice Jewish girl talking about Jesus. <laughs> and <laughs> it was a joke. And then uh, we did a hands-on and she got up and she went home to New York. She was out visiting and, and she emailed me and she said, it's perfect. I can walk all day on it. And she could only walk an hour before. So we have healings like that and some really interesting interface healings with Western medicine and energetics. That's one big thread, the healing work. Then that takes us into Bhutan where we start to understand that they understood long, long ago um, what we would call quantum physics, energetics, energetic healing. Multi-dimensional beings, the full spectrum of the, the full light spectrum. And, you know, I, I'm kind of weaving those two things together from deep personal experience. And then there's a small thread of my own personal healing journey, which is just a doozy. Several past life, amazing past lives. One, I was a Chinese servant beaten to death long ago, uh, long, long, long ago for, I think, dropping a teacup, which may explain my love of tea parties, um, uh, and uh, some other ones that were just grief. My, I learned compassion through personal grief. So I'm weaving these threads, all, all three of them together, and then we uh, emerge at the end with um, two amazing revelations that you have to read the book to hear about. It's the happiest ending and the most unbelievable ending and uh, then some very real, wonderful um, oh, results and evidence.
1: <laughs> well, I happen to know some of the stories behind it and I'm <laughs> not telling.
2: Yay, Miriam. But you will be the first. You'll be the first to get to see the uh, early copy and to review it.
1: <laughs> okay, it's a deal. <laughs> so, Jessica, what do you think um, is the most important thing that we can do to advance our own spirituality and our own spiritual connection?
2: Um, the most important thing is the thing that so many people find the most difficult, which is going within. I mean, you know, I adore Westminster Presbyterian Church, but in the, even the very best of the Christian mm-hmm. tradition, Unless you're a Trappist monk or, or a, a you know, a Benedictine nun, you're not going to spend more than a couple minutes in prayer unless you are in prayer at home. And that that is not enough. And in fact, I tell almost all my clients, you know, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is within. That is one of the quotes, scriptural quotes, that has been verified as true. He, that was said. Now, all the masters say something like that. But this tradition doesn't do anything about it. And I think it's a shortcoming. So they can be compassionate, walk the walk of love, love thy neighbor, love thy enemy, pray for everybody. But they can be miserable because they're still, oh, stuck in what the Eastern Buddhists call samsara, I think the Hindus do too, which is this eternal wheel of suffering that is life on earth. And there is a way out of that. It doesn't mean you're turning your back on everyone you love, it means you're going deeper into the real truth of reality here, which is much different than the world of form. And
1: that is exactly the message that we want to leave you with. And Jessica's website is jessicamaxwell.com, correct?
2: Yes, or rollaroundheaven.com. Or Mm
1: rollaroundheaven.com. Okay, well, we're at the end of the show. We've been speaking with Jessica Maxwell, and I invite you listeners to visit my website, New Consciousness Review, on ncreview.com, and browse our free content-packed multimedia magazine and podcast archive. Do join me next week to meet more rising stars of the new consciousness. Until then, I'm Miriam Knight. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.